I want to talk to you tonight about what I experienced last Thursday while I was here. As you guys know, we're at House of Prayer, right? So if you come here like during the day or if you're here in the evenings, what you'll find is that there's worship on or there's live worship and you'll find that there are people in here and they're praying. And what we do with our schools is we actually, if you, if you boil it all down, I mean, we teach them a lot about Jesus and the love of Jesus and who Jesus is, Jesus, 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 the Father. But when you boil it all down, we really teach people to pray. And, and, and we feel like that's our mandate because our heart is to see people come alive in God. Not so that we spend all of our time in a prayer room or you spend all of your time in a prayer closet. But if you can learn to pray, if you can really encounter the Holy Spirit in prayer, if you can really see the face of Jesus and his eyes like a flame of fire in that place of prayer, you will be changed into his likeness. And if you do this, then you don't have to be spoon-fed by a church or by other people. You don't have to, people don't have to continually feed you milk, but you are getting revelatory uh, bread hot from the very hand of God. You're getting meat, and, and, and it's a meat, it's a word that, that, is, that is a flame, and it's causing you to become a flame. Right? And so that's our goal here. And so last week, when we were, um, when I asked the people here, uh, all of you, uh, when I was asking you about your prayer life, and I was saying, you know, who is having these kind of encounters in prayer? Who is encountering Jesus in prayer? Is your prayer life like a date? Is your prayer life like a time where you're being romanced by the love of your beloved? Because Jesus is coming back for what? A bride. Revelation 19, Jesus is coming back for a bride who has made herself ready. He's not coming back for a workforce. He's not coming back for a bunch of workers, right? We're all real busy. We're working, working, working. And it's important to do the righteous acts of the saints. And it's important to be working and following the spirit of the Lord, but we, ha but, but we cannot forsake the first thing in the first place. Because everything gets birthed out of that first place love. So I asked um, everyone here to stand up if they felt like their prayer life was dry or felt like it was boring. And like 75% of you stood up. And, the, and hear my heart here. This is no condemnation. My heart was cut. Because I remember being in that place. And I remember what that was like. And I remember the struggle of trying to discipline myself in the place of prayer. And how it, I just... I tried, but I'd fall asleep. Or I tried, and it was so boring that I thought... This can't possibly be what you died for. Right? You hung on a cross. Why? When he hung on a cross, 
It wasn't so we could go work, 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 work and get busy and be the church and get all into religious activities. The cross was an engagement ring. The cross was him making a vow to us that that he's saying, I've paid the ultimate price for love so that you would be mine. I've come down from my father. I have come to be forever human so that I could come and get you for my own. And it was the cry of a bridegroom. It was not so that we could go and raise the dead. He does not need us to do that for him. Now he partners with us in it, but beloved, I'm telling you, he called you his beloved. Be loved by him. John the Baptist, I mean John the beloved, what did he say? John wrote the book of John and he called himself the beloved. He gave himself that name. Why? Because he understood the love of of Jesus. He understood the love of the bridegroom. His bridegroom. It was personal. And so he had a revelation of who Jesus was as the bridegroom. It caused him to be transformed into one that he called himself beloved. I am beloved. I am the most beloved. Right? Lovers will outwork workers every time. I don't pray because I have to. I pray because I get to. I pray because there was a man that came down for me. And the image that he gives us is the image we still use in our folklore. That there is a man on a white horse that is going to come and rescue his bride. John the Baptist said about Jesus that he is the bridegroom and one that hears the voice of the bridegroom, his joy is full. One that hears the voice of true love is forever changed. And he equated it to the fullness of joy. Do you know what that's like to have the fullness of joy? Because you hear the voice of one that is perfect love. And when he comes back for you, what, is he, what does he have on his thighs? Faithful and true. It's true love. It's a faithful love. It is a violent love that breaks in over us. If we can understand, I believe this, I really do. If we can understand the motivation behind what happened at the cross, and if we can understand and change our perspective of what prayer is, that it isn't dry and it isn't boring, but we really go there and we allow ourselves to be loved, and we we allow ourselves, that we allow ourselves to be loved, Not that we're so set on pursuing him, but if we will rest and allow him to pursue us, 
But most of us don't believe that we're worthy of this kind of love. It is the fullness of love. And what I talked about on Sunday was being perfected in love. Do you know that that is actually possible? To be perfected in love. That we would walk in the nature and the motivations of Christ. That we would be a perfect image reflected. And that's when he says, I'm coming back for my bride. What is the bride going to look like? It's going to look like him. Right. When a man begins to pursue a woman, he sees a spark in her that to himself looks like himself. He's like, wait a minute, it's that one. What causes a man to pick a woman out of a crowd or to pick a woman out of a city and say, that one belongs to me? And his heart becomes engaged in that place. Her heart becomes and begins to do what? Respond in kind. Perfect love does what? Casts out all fear. And so where is he looking to get us? Into the place of perfect love. So I wanted to share with you, and I wanted to talk to you about my journey. Because, you know, if there's someone that's actually have, if, if, if someone has broken through in an area, and they're walking in victory in, in an area, and they've had a revelation in that area, they can actually share that, and, and others can go in through that door. As Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And even in... Um, the Song of Solomon, which is about a bride and a bridegroom, this is what, in chapter 1, let me find it. You don't have to turn there. In chapter 1, verse 7, um, the bride or the betrothed, what she begins to do is she's just been saved and she's just encountered this, this incredible, violent, passionate love. And so her heart is engaged, but here's what she asks him. She doesn't know how to make herself ready for the wedding day. And so she asks him this in verse 7, tell me, O oh you whom I love, where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon. For why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? She's saying, how can I get to you in this way? And he tells her this, if you do not know, O fairest among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats besides the shepherd's tent. And he's saying to us, that's a, that's a word from, from Jesus. He's saying, listen, beloved, I realize that you're, you may be immature in this area and you're not seeing success in this area of prayer. But I'm telling you that if you will find the one who has found the way, and then if you will do what they do, then you will see a similar success in that. Now this isn't about this isn't about legalism this isn't about a set of rules because the beauty behind prayer and the beauty behind encountering love in this way is that it's it's so uniquely individual The way that I love John 
or the way that you love your husband is completely different. The way that I approach John, the way that I communicate with John may be different the way you communicate with your spouse or with your girlfriend or whatever. And so the way that God wants to, to encounter you, he is jealous to tell you how to do that. What I'm going to do is share with you my testimony, and then if you can glean anything from it, then perhaps you can do the same things. And for me, it all started with a question. God, will you teach me to pray? Because I was not going to be satisfied with a boring and dry life in God. I had all the activities and I had all the religious activities. I had, I was doing all the stuff. I was going to church. I'm reading the Bible. I'm going to the conferences. You know, I'm, 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 I'm doing all of the disciplines, you know, da, 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 da. But, but my prayer life was bad. It was bad. I know there's more. You know, there's more for you than that. But you can't be satisfied with just Christianity. We have to press in. And as I was, I was praying about this with the Lord this week, he reminded me of a story that was written. It's a short story that was written by a guy named Robert Burnell. And it's called Escape from Christendom. And it talks about the journey of a man who's a traveler. That's what he's called. He's a traveler. And so he's traveling on the road trying to find the city of God. And he comes to a place called Christian City on his journey. And in Christian City, there is a church on every corner. There's Christian music piped into all of the restaurants. Everybody's carrying a Bible. Everybody's saying, bless you, hallelujah. There's prayer meetings. They're feeding the poor. A lot of activity in Christian city. And he said, is this the city of God? He kept going around and they said, no, 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 this is Christian city. City of God is that way, but you don't want to go there. Because there's, it's just all desert out there. It's the narrow way. And so this, this, I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but in it, he encounters, he decides, he makes the choice. They, the Lord sends in what he calls an ancient man in the, in the story, an ancient man who was a prophet. And he came to this man, and he was just glowing. And he said, no, I live in the city of God. That's where you want to go. Don't stay here in all of this religious activity you want to move on into the place where you have encountered love. Amen. And, and he said, but, but let me just tell you that it is a narrow way. And you will be required to go through four wildernesses to get there. The first was the wilderness of forgiveness. To understand what Jesus died for and that he forgave you and receive and appropriate that, appropriate that forgiveness in your own heart. 
And when you begin to go into the place of prayer, don't go to place of prayer with a list. Go with an open heart and with open ears. Because you don't really, you, you need to do a little talking and a lot of listening. You know, I mean, it's like the king of the universe. He's a pretty smart guy, right? And what he primarily wants to tell you is how much he loves you. And so it's, he's saying, listen, I'm going to teach you in this place of wilderness. I'm going to teach you about my forgiveness in your life, but I'm also going to teach you how to forgive and walk in forgiveness with others. Because our hearts get burdened down with unforgiveness. And it'll separate us from encountering God as love. Bitterness and pride will separate you from God. And you won't be able to hear his voice. You won't be able to encounter him. And what, what I was talking about on Monday is just in that place of mourning. Allow ourselves to mourn. Blessed is he who mourns, for he shall be comforted. And that word says that if you will get real about your heart condition before God and say, God, what is it? You show me what it is in my heart that is separating me from you. And allow him, or allow us just to get real and say, okay, number one, I'm not super spiritual. I don't have it all together. These people hurt me. The, the, this part of my life was such an incredible disappointment. And he said, blessed are you who mourn over the disappointments and the circumstances that have caused you sorrow and pain, for you will be comforted. That word means that you will be surrounded by his presence, and he will come to you and speak to you in that place. The second wilderness was the wilderness of worship. And it was understanding what true worship is, that we would worship him in spirit and truth. That we are called to be baptized in fire, right? John the Baptist came to baptize. He had a baptism of water. Jesus came to baptize us with fire and the Holy Spirit. And it was, this is a kind of love that has a flame, and it, will, it is an all-consuming fire. It is an all-consuming love. And if you will allow it, it will come and consume the worship of every idol in your life. So you may ask yourself, well, I don't have any idols. I used to think idols were like statues, like little things that I got in my past that I thought, oh my God. So I went around and threw out all the collectibles that I had gotten through the years and went, oh my God, that's an idol. Oh my God, that's an idol. And I had crosses everywhere. Anyway, I was wrong about that. Um, an idol is something that you think a lot about. It's something that you think about all the time. It could be money. I'm afraid I won't have enough. It could be, um, it could even be love. It could be romance. You've set it up as an idol. It could be, um, here's a good one, uh, ambition in the church or ambition in life, right? If it's going to be, it's up to me. If I succeed, then I will, I will have value. If I, if I do all of this for God, then I will have value. People will appreciate me. They will love me. 
And so a lot of that has to be laid down in that particular wilderness of worship because he's saying to us, I will have you and you will be mine and mine alone. He is a jealous, jealous God. The next one is the um, wilderness of prayer. And it's really what we're talking about today, about what it is and understanding that prayer is just basically you're going on a date. You're going on a date with the lover of your soul. You're going on a date with someone who can transform you into his likeness. And so it requires of us our time. Because time is money, right? And if I give away my time, that means I give away my prestige and my opportunity to advance my own kingdom. I mean, let's just get honest. Because time, time, time. There's no time in heaven, right? God invented time for us. And so prayer requires time. But here's, here's what I want to tell you. Listen to this. He gets to tell you how much time. Because you can't just say, all right, God, I'm going to meet with you for one hour a day, blah, blah, blah. Because there's grace that labors in prayer. We're not called to labor and labor and labor and press in and press in. Instead, we just, we enter the place of rest and we say, okay, Dad, okay, Jesus, what do you want to do here? How do you want to do it? How, how often a week do you want me to do this? Because I'm just starting this journey. And I don't want to go to Christendom. I don't want to get busy with activities of religion. I want to have an encounter with the living God so that I'm transformed and I can be a flame of fire. And then I can take that fire out into the streets and everywhere I go, it's like... You see that all those people got healed? I'm going to go back into the furnace because that's what I love to do more than anything else. Right? Oh, look, I stepped out of the furnace. People are getting healed again. Set free. I'm prophesying. Woo! That was so easy. Got to go back into the furnace. Well, that's so much fun. Come on. Right? It's the overflow. The overflow. John 15, 11. Go ahead and turn there. We're actually going to use the Bible. Yay! John... 1511. Now in, the, in, in chapter 15 he's talking about being the true vine and he's talking about love and joy that is perfected. Your love, he is after you. He is after you. It says here that when he was on the cross, verse 11, chapter 15, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So you were the joy that was set before him because he knows that if you will receive the fullness of his love, then your joy is going to be full. What does a life look like when the joy is full? Let me tell you what it looks like. You don't get all jacked up in prayer. I mean, in uh, fear. You don't get all jacked up in fear. You don't. You're not afraid of everything. You're not afraid of what is that person going to think about me. You know how, and I'm just going to confess this to you. When I used to have a conversation with somebody, I was so afraid of man that all I could think about while I'm talking to them, or while they're talking to me, I'm not even listening to what they're saying. I'm listening to what I'm going to be saying back to them. This is going to be really clever. <laughs> relationship with anybody that way well I didn't I had very shallow relationships thank God I was funny you know <laughs> 
It wasn't that I was listening so that I could care, but I'm telling you, as I began to pray and he began to show me who I was, this, my joy became full. So I wasn't so afraid of what other people thought of me and I began to sit down on the inside. Amen? Amen, amen. amen. Turn to John 17, since we're there. Kat, you want to come on up? <laughs> She's like, I just sat down. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we're going. This is when he prayed this prayer, John 17. You need to just sit there in your time of prayer. This is really where he's wanting to take you. It's the last thing he prayed before he went to the cross. So the last thing that you're going to tell your kids, the last thing you're going to share with your husband before you die, it's going to be pretty important. It's going to be those words of wisdom. It's going to be the desire of your heart. It's going to be the thing that you've learned throughout your entire life. You're going to share this with them, your hopes and your dreams. And this is what he says. Verse 21 that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. So he's saying to us, here's, all right, here's the deal. Let me just sum all of this up. I did all of this stuff, I, I, I'm, now I'm going to go to the cross, but I did all of this so you and I could be married. And it's not when you die, it's now, so that you and I can be bride and bridegroom and you can hear the wooing of my voice in the wilderness the word says that he woos us into the wilderness that it is the it is a call of love into that place because what i learned about prayer is that the more that i surrendered to the working of his hand the more i encountered him in the place of prayer Today, it is rare that I will go into my, to my time of prayer that I do not encounter him in a way where I am undone. Every time now I go to prayer, I am weeping over the word. I am having revelation of his love. one with him and I don't know where he starts and I end and, it, and, and so we, there is a synergy that he's wanting to have with you he came to make you his own and to take you into his heart you are his betrothed you are his beloved so the more I give away all the things I was afraid that I would lose I would lose my reputation I lost it. I lost it. People think I'm crazy. They think I'm a fanatic. You know, so, uh, or I, I'm going for the things that God has called me to do and people think it's crazy. This is impossible. Well, okay, that means I'm on the right track. But, so you give up everything. He said, surrender all. We're called to be bond servants. I give you my life. I 
surrender everything. I give you my money. I give you my home. I give you my house. I lay it down at the altar because the exchange is so much greater. And it's that true love. And I don't and hear what I'm saying. I'm not preaching a message of poverty. I'm not preaching a message of lack, but I'm preaching a message of love like you've never known it before. And it will cause you to come alive. Once you become alive, all men will be drawn to what? The shining, the brightness of your countenance because the light of Jesus is so bright in us. And it's a love that you will never fear again. You're like, oh, I don't have enough money this month to pay my bills. He'll take care of it. I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be afraid because perfect love has cast out all of that in every aspect of my life. See, I can't go back to Christian City. I can't. So I've laid my life down, not just for myself, but for you. And so if there is actually a company of people who get this in this city, then the city will fall for Jesus. Because lovers will have come on the scene and replaced all of the workers. If our activity could could bring transformation, it would have already happened. There are more churches in this city than there is in any city in America. And I refuse to go alone. I refuse for 25% of us. And so I'm asking you today, will you come? Will you go to the city of God? Will you pull off everything that has held you back from this reality? And get in the face of Jesus and say, I have to have you like this. I have to have this for my life. And I will pay whatever it costs to have you like this. Because I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to settle for anything less.